0: Hello again, Nigel Ogden here with another contribution from my archive collection of recordings which I've acquired over many a long year. Well this time I thought you might enjoy hearing a complete half-hour programme which is not a theatre organ broadcast as such but is actually a little documentary about the theatre organ world as it was at the time this programme was made in 1969. It was broadcast on Radio 4 in August that year, and was entitled How Are the Mighty Organs, presented by an appropriately named Frank Dixon. Well, I think it's probably one of those occasional offerings I come up with which the vast majority of you won't have heard before, or if you have, probably not since it first went out on the airwaves. Now, before the purists among you start getting a bit worked up, yes, there are one or two inaccuracies here and there, but hopefully you can put those to one side and enjoy what I think is an entertaining slice of nostalgia.
1: to have been millions of cinema organists uh, over the years and throughout the world.
2: Keith Philipson of the Theatre
1: Organ Club. In this country, uh, I suppose many people of the old days would think of Quentin M. McLean as perhaps the, the greatest organist of his time on, in the theatre. And Of course there was Sidney Torch and H. Robinson Cleaver who was the president of the Theatre Organ Club. Stanley Tudor, Jack Hellyer, Horace Finch, Joseph Seal and then of course there's a host of Reginalds: Reginald New, Reginald, Reginald Foxwell, Reginald Porter Brown, Reginald Fort, who was the first BBC theatre organist and the very first number one radio personality. Reginald Hayward, Reginald Cross, Reginald Stone, Reginald Adams, Reginald Liversidge, and of course you, you can't leave out Reginald Dixon. <laughs>
2: and totally unrelated namesake has been not only Mr. Dixon but Mr. Blackpool for nearly 38 years and in the world of the theatre organ his is the biggest and longest success story but it's not the full story so while I tell you a little bit more he disappears temporarily underneath the stage of the Tower Ballroom Now, this raising and lowering of the organist and his keyboard is not only a marvellous bit of showmanship, it's also a marvellous bit of technology, made possible by the fact that the organ keyboard, or console as we call it, is connected to the pipes by a long, flexible cable. There's no sound from the console itself. It's really a giant electrical switchboard, sending out electrical impulses which trip relays, which in turn actuate the pipes. And if that sounds rather like a telephone exchange, well, it's because the great pioneer of cinema organs was also a great pioneering telephone engineer. He was born in 1859 at Hooton Grange in Cheshire. By the time he was nine years old, he was assistant organist in the parish church at Eastham, and he was only in his early 20s when he started to combine his job as organist with that of chief engineer to the Lancashire and Cheshire Telephone Company. He built his first organ for St John's Church, Birkenhead, and this sensational instrument had a great deal in common with the cinema organs we know today. Oh, the console didn't go up and down on the lift, but it did run on casters all over the church, and it was once wheeled into the front porch for a recital by the proud inventor. Oh, well, I've not told you his name. It was Robert Hope Jones. Doesn't ring a bell? Well, you certainly know the name of the firm that gave Hope Jones his big chance when he went to America. The Mighty Wurlitzer. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a Hope Jones unit orchestra organ. Hope Jones himself said, An organist, henceforth, if he wants to play properly on our instruments, will have
3: to be both orchestral conductor and organist.
2: Not only a conductor and an organist, but an effects man, too, because Rudolf Wurlitzer and Robert Hope Jones were just in nice time to profit from the silent cinema, which called insistently for music with a... for Pearl White's Fire Brigade and a... to some of the Keystone Cops, and a quick burst of... for the war films, not to mention an occasional... just for the hell of it. The first Wurlitzers appeared in American cinemas from about 1911 but Britain lagged behind. Our first organ didn't appear until 1919 at the Palace cinema, Accrington, and it wasn't a Wurlitzer. It was, in fact, by the famous Manchester church organ builders, Chardine. The first British Wurlitzer was the one at the New Gallery cinema in London. It arrived in 1924, and Torquay's arrived in 1926, but then so did Mr. Reginald Ford, Fellow of the Royal College of Organists and he made the first gramophone record of the British cinema organ. Today it sounds pretty unsensational though it's a rare collector's piece and I'd like to thank Mr Ivor Holland for the loan of it. But it was Reginald Ford and his playing that started the boom in cinema organs as Keith Phillipson told me 99% of
1: organs that went into British cinemas never accompanied silent films. They were installed purely as solo instruments. But the nice thing about it is that they all retain the funny noises that they had to have when they were accompanying silent films, even though they never used them for that. So you've still got motor horns and bird whistles and odd noises like that. There were about 750 installed over the years. At any one time there would be possibly 600 in playing condition, although of course they wouldn't all be playing. Isn't it? I don't think there were ever 600 organists employed in British cinemas at any one time, but there would be about 600 instruments at the peak.
2: 600 instruments and about 6 million critics, from whom I choose just one, Nicholas Bentley, who put his aversion into verse.
3: Obsolete and staid, the organ on which Handel played, compared with that which movie fans applaud with love clasp clammy hands. Surely no instrument of yore could imitate that bronchial roar or make one shudder in one's seat less from vibration than the heat of quick resentment which one feels to hear its curious, retching squeals added, with imbecile effect, to Bach or Brahms. Or to correct the absence of electric gongs from one of Schubert's early songs. Amusing though it is to sit and watch the console neon-lit Rise like some garish midnight sun The colours changing one by one The loudest of applause I keep For when it slides into the deep, impenetrable plaza's bowels Whence, God be praised, its mellow yowls are muffled Till the show at ten lets pandemonium loose again
2: Music Hath Qualms, was written by Nicholas Bentley and read by Colin Edwin. And pulling out all the stops there in the background was a fine organist with a fine sense of humour, Arnold Lockson. Now, just what were the stops he pulled? In other words, how does the cinema organ manage to sound so different from a church organ? I went into this question with a man who both builds and plays both kinds of organ. I asked Ron Curtis of the organ builders, Curtis and Boardman, Now, suppose I came to you for a church organ, but it's got to be a very small one because I can afford only one stop. Now, what's that stop got to be?
1: Well, of course, it must be the open diapason, which is the foundation stop of any pipe church organ. All right, well, can we have that?
2: Now, suppose instead of a very small church organ, I want to buy a mini cinema organ with only one stop.
1: Well, of course, it must be the tibia clausa, which is the foundation of any theatre organ.
2: Only one stop, but it already gives us the sound that we all either loved or loathed right throughout the 30s. In my young days, I never much cared for it. Not because I was a highbrow, perished the thought, but because I was inordinately fond of jazz. And there was only one organist who could play it as I liked it. The great Fat Swallow. High-class creative jazz was always a rarity on this heavyweight of the light music world, and particularly so when the organ went to war. Sandy MacPherson got into action quicker than most of our troops, at precisely 4.45pm on September the 3rd, 1939. While the rest of the BBC was taking up its wartime position, Sandy kept things going to the tune of no less than 50 broadcasts in the first four weeks. One listener wrote,
3: I have now got to the point where I would welcome an air raid if I could be sure that the first bomb would fall on Sandy McPherson and his organ, preferably while he was playing his signature
2: tune. (laughs) That listener almost got his wish. The original BBC theatre organ was destroyed by a bomb in September 1940, but another, a very large instrument, used by Reginald Ford for his touring recitals, was made available. The organs thundered on through the war and after the war. In 1946, the first year of peace, there were still 1,377 theatre organ broadcasts. But during the 1950s, cinema owners began to find out that it was more profitable to sell ice cream in the interval than to pay an organist. Television, bingo, changing tastes, greater sophistication, well, they all played their part in taking the organists and later their instruments out of the cinema. In fact, in the Greater Manchester area, I know of only one cinema where they regularly keep up the old tradition. It's the Davenport in Stockport, where the organist is Joyce Aldred. I spoke to her after the show. I've had the, the rare experience, it is a rare experience nowadays, of hearing you do your recital with um, proper slides on the screen. Yes. Um, how do you get the slides done, by the way?
3: Well, I scratch them out with a pickle fork.
1: I spray um, a slide with uh, car cellulose and then scratch it out with the end of a pickle fork and put um, celluloid behind to get the colour effects. Mm. And then glue two plates together and they're ready for the screen.
2: As you may have guessed, Joyce is much too young to have heard, let alone to have played the cinema organs in their heyday. In fact, her first professional job was on an electronic organ, the instrument that competes with the proper pipe organ by being about ten times cheaper, ten times lighter, and ten times louder. So I asked Joyce... I wish would you sooner play, the electronic or or the uh, Compton, I've just heard you Oh,
1: definitely the Compton.
2: (laughs) Uh, What's it got that an electronic's not got?
1: Well, it's got the true sound of an organ as it was meant to sound, and I never think the electronics produce such a very good reproduction.
2: And so say about 2,000 members of the Theatre Organ Club, which arranges recitals on the surviving organs. And so say the 250 members of the Northern Theatre Organ Trust, who are now on the final stages of a fantastic and fantastically successful restoration job, nothing less than the creation of an organ of their own with a permanent home in the town hall of Osset, Yorkshire. Fodder Trust, Frank Hare.
4: The project really started in 1961 when we were offered a small organ from a closed cinema at Bebington in Cheshire. Well we, we just couldn't see an organ like that be scrapped so we bought it for quite a nominal sum, and then, of course, had to start looking around for a home for it. Uh, Osset Town Hall was one of the first places which was suggested to us, and the negotiations which were started with the local corporation uh, proved successful. But, of course, when we saw the hall, we began to realise that the organ we had purchased was going to be uh, too small to do justice to the building or to the functions held in it. So we had then to start thinking about enlarging the organ and the instrument as it is found today is the result of all the work which has gone on since that date.
2: Now how long ago was this? Uh,
4: It was in 1962 that we started negotiations but in 1964, the middle of 1964, that we started actually erecting the organ here.
2: And what a job it was!
4: Oh yes, the console was a terrible
1: Condition when we bought it with all the paint to uh, burn off scratch off, rub off anywhere we could get it mm-hmm. uh, one, two, three coats of undercoat, two coats of final coat and then all this gilt paint was put on with this, uh spray that one wasn't it mm. and you were
2: telling me about the keys uh, the keys were over the years had blackened as ivory does uh, they, they all had to be
3: ground down and repolished. Uh, when the removal firm were t- moving it out of the theatre. They damaged it, they let it fall over,
2: and a lot of the keys were damaged. Well, they all had to be straightened up. Yes, all 183 of them. But that's only the bit you can see. The major work is behind the scenes and under the stage. Regimander, who'd already spent nearly 10 years building an organ in his own home, tells of the work that kept him at Osset Town Hall every weekend for the last four and a half years.
1: My main contribution is, uh, well, it's like Mary and Alice at the Loom. I seem to do nothing but make up cables and wires and various things. Uh, We've had to put all new main cables into the various ranks,
2: uh, also to the relays. Which we worked out as about seven miles of wiring. And even this is only a tiny part of the achievement. I estimate the commercial value of this volunteer labour as not far short of £10,000. And the result? Well, that's just what they were testing the day I was there. The members of the Trust include some very good amateur organists, but to give their creation a really searching acceptance trial, they enlisted the probing professional fingers of Arnold Bloxham.
1: the verdict Arnold? Well usually I am associated with the death of organs because over the past four or five years it's been my uh, misprivilege shall I say to uh, always have to give the last recital on an organ before it was taken out of a cinema so it's a great pleasure to come and play on an organ which is about to be born in its new home and which is not likely to be taken out by certain organisations.
2: Now what kind of organ is this and that's a loaded question isn't it?
1: Well, it's um, partly Christie, partly C- uh, Crompton. I think it's the birth child of uh, Frank Hare and at the Theatre Organ Club. Mm. And I think they've put a lot of ideas together and they've produced an organ which is really wonderfully straight and wonderfully theatre organ. And I think, really, it's better probably than the original was.
2: And that's the view of a man who's spent over 22 years playing theatre organs and who's adapted himself very successfully to the changing musical fashions of today. In fact, commenting on today's organ scene, Arnold said, uh, "It's all electronic,
1: but I'm looking forward to the day when there's several organs like this, because I'm sure, especially this in Ossett Town Hall, mm. it'll get danced to, it'll get sung to, it'll get played in public quite a lot. It's wonderful." Mm.
2: gave the cue another took it up this is ron curtis playing on a record made specially for the american export market it's the little compton from the davenport theater in stockport and it has outsold even the mighty wurlitzer recordings of the great george wright which is rather like outselling the beatles in the pop field the reason was the novelty appeal of a truly british instrument compton built four times as many instruments as wurlitzer in this country That's a particularly small Crompton, only half the size of the one Ron Curtis has installed in his own house at Bolton. I recorded this in his perfectly normal 14-foot square sitting room. No, it was not deafening. The pipes were in the next room, and there was still room to walk about in it. Old Hope Jones and John Compton knew a thing or two about getting a lot of music out of comparatively few pipes, about a third the number you'd need for a church organ of similar tonal range. And things certainly ain't what they used to be. A few years ago, cinema organs were being sold for scrap. Today, quite a lot of them are being found very good homes. Ron Curtis's partner, Norman Boardman. Well, actually, we've removed uh, something like
3: 16 or 17, I think, in in total, of these instruments. And they have, in fact, gone to a fairly wide range of people. Uh, A number have gone for private installations, In one particular instance, uh, we actually reinstalled one in a cinema from which we had previously removed one. Oh, where and when was this? This was in Southport. Uh, There was a change of ownership of the cinema. Uh, The original owners decided to sell the organ that was there originally, and we purchased this and reinstalled it in a church. Some two or three years later, the new owners decided that they would like an organ bike, and we had, in fact, one in stock of a similar size to the one that was removed and we did in fact reinstall it. Uh, In addition to that of course basically a number have gone into churches.
2: Service at Gorton Evangelical Church. I spoke to the organist, Colin Ead.
1: About 1966, the autumn of 1966, we, uh, I had the idea of uh, installing an ex theatre organ. I thought it would suit the type of worship that we have here, and the bright, chorus type of hymns. And uh, I thought it's the ideal instrument for accompanying the singing.
2: Where's this one come from?
1: Uh, the picture house, Douglas, of Man.
2: Now, as I sit with you at the console, uh, and I look at the stop tabs of this organ, which, like most theatre uh, organs, uh, has got such things as um, bass drum tabs, mm. snare drum roll, crash cymbal, choke cymbal, chimes, xylophone. Um, it's even got um, an aeroplane effect on it. Now, um, do you think, do you really think that this sort of thing has a place in a church?
1: Yes, most certainly, yes. We, uh, the, our building is a dual-purpose building and it's also used in the Sunday afternoon for the Sunday School. Mm-hmm. And uh, we use all these effects in the chorus singing in the Sunday School. And, uh, of course, in the, in the Psalms it says, uh, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, clap your hands together, all your people, and with t- uh, uh, tambourines and cymbals and so forth. And I think it's just the instrument. Well, I'll say
2: amen to that. And so, I think, with the other Mr. Dixon. Oh, he's still beside the seaside. And that's where we came in. At any rate, I hope you liked our little interlude. Goodbye.
0: A program called How Are the Mighty Organs, presented by Frank Dixon, and first broadcast on Radio 4 on the 7th of August 1969. All good fun, as they say, and delightful to hear the voices of many people who many of us knew well, but are sadly no longer with us. Well, I hope you enjoyed that little bit of something different. I'll be back with you again on July the 14th, and in the not-too-distant future, I hope you'll be able to join Damon next week when he'll be bringing you his own selection of favourites. In the meantime, full details of what you've heard on this programme, plus plenty more besides, can be found on our website, www.organistencores.co.uk, or on our Facebook page, at The Organist Encores. For now, this is Nigel Ogden saying thanks for your company, All the best and bye-bye.